Early childhood experiences play an important role in how our brains develop and function. And exposure to adverse childhood experiences, or ACEs, can not only impact a child's brain development, but his or her health later in life. Pediatric clinicians play a crucial role in helping build awareness about ACEs, as well as supporting resilience and healing of kids and families. You're listening to Voices from the Field, a podcast where we explore the perspectives of provider screening for ACEs and toxic stress. I'm Lena Singh. In this episode, we talk with pediatrician Amy Siri about how she's helping to train the next generation of clinicians in trauma-informed care, integrated care, and ACEs, and also discuss her learnings from implementing ACEs screening at her practice. Welcome, Amy. Hi, thank you for having me. So the Via Christi Family Medicine Clinic practices integrated care. Could you describe what integrated care is? Yeah, when I started working at Via Christi about seven years ago, it was a new concept for me as well. It was very interesting to me to come into a clinic where we had behaviorists on staff that were physically present. In basic, we have individuals who are in the same space as we are, and they're able to intervene at those times when I, as a physician, feel like I've gone above and beyond uh, where I'm comfortable with my level of training with regards to mental health care. And so integrated care to me means I have someone who helps me address the wellness of a patient. I may understand physical health. I don't necessarily feel like I have the same toolkit with mental health. And this helps me have someone else as a team member who steps in and fills the gaps that I'm not able to. Because we're at the same location, we're using the same record system, it really helps me to stay engaged and involved as patients receive mental health care and the kind of progress that they're making. Historically, in the past, when I've had a child or family that I've referred for therapy elsewhere, it's kind of become a black hole. Uh, They would come back and report to me what their perception was of how things were going, but I wouldn't necessarily get records. Uh, Sometimes I could request them. um, Sometimes those requests would be fulfilled and sometimes not. And instead now, I can read through these notes where they're having these extended visits with a mental health provider And there's so much more information I can gather then and recognize how that might be impacting a child's physical health. So, for example, I'll be really frustrated because a family is not very compliant with asthma medications. And this child just has chronic lung inflammation. And I know this child just wants to run and jump and play and do well in school, but they just literally are struggling with every breath and are constantly distracted. And I'll keep harping on a family of, of why didn't you pick up the meds? Why, why is this something that you're not prioritizing? This is your child's life we're talking about. And I'll, I'll of course, you know, want to be engaged in, in care. Uh, but during these short visits, sometimes that's hard for a family to speak up and say, you know, we've had a real hard time. We've had a death of a grandparent who is maybe the core of our family. And we now don't have the same kind of child care. We've lost an adult who can help provide rides, someone who's bringing an income. It's become much harder to physically get to a pharmacy during certain hours to pick up medications. Uh, the, the family as a whole just isn't functioning very well. And so I'm seeing the domino effect of how that's impacting the child's health. So by getting those insights from a mental health visit and those records, 
I can better understand the wellness of a child as a whole in their family. And I just can't express enough how grateful I am for that. Thea Christie has a specialty pediatric clinic. Can you tell me a little bit about the population you serve? Yeah. Uh, It is a primary care clinic for a pediatric population, so from birth up to about 18 to 21 years old. And we are focused on serving the underserved. We'll have a whole spectrum of patients where we might have those who do have some private insurance. Uh, We have those families that are self-pay, but the vast majority of our patients are on Medicaid, so state-funded insurance. And in those dynamics, that often means maybe the child has some resources to get health care, but the parents don't. And, and, and that means you might have family members who are also struggling with their own health and their mental health. And if you have parents that aren't functioning well, uh, you can see those downstream effects on our pediatric patients as well. And why does a trauma-informed care approach make sense for the population you serve? A lot of the families that we take care of might have had multiple generations of high-stress environments and childhoods. And so you start to see generation by generation these families where when they come into the system, they're in a reactionary kind of mode. And we as providers, if we really do want to meet them halfway or further to help bring them into a place of healing and a path of recovery, then we have to make sure we ourselves are not also responding in a reactionary and animalistic way. If someone comes in and they're being extremely, as I perceive, rude or aggressive to my front desk staff, my first instinct might be to protect these these staff members. Uh, and to lay down the rules and say, if you're not going to behave in a certain way, you're not welcome in our practice. But instead, having all of our staff members being able to take that step back and remember, just because someone is being aggressive and threatening towards us, we do not have to respond in kind, that we can continue to provide a, a message of, we understand, we are listening, we want to be helpful to you, and trying to kind of de-escalate these situations. I understand that you work with more than 50 residents in the clinic. Why is it important to train your residents in the principles of trauma-informed care? We're pretty proud of our program. It's one of the larger in the country, and we are training residents to go out and serve in all kinds of settings in the world, urban, but also a lot of rural settings, both in Kansas uh, and elsewhere, and international uh, medical service. We want our residents to be as prepared as possible to handle just about any medical situation. We know that our residents aren't going to necessarily be as lucky as they are right now where they're training, where they'll have behaviorists available, and they can have this integrated care model constantly at their fingertips. So we need to help them learn some skills and get training that some of us as older physicians did not. So they have a way of creating a sense of a therapeutic environment, even if they aren't themselves trained in full mental health services, so that when they're the only provider in town, they don't lose that therapeutic relationship with a difficult patient who has a history of severe trauma, that instead they can try to look past frustrating behaviors and continue that relationship that will serve and guide that patient hopefully back to a path of of wellness and healing. 
How have residents responded to training in trauma-informed care? Could you share a story about how a resident responded? Yeah, well, I'll say with so many residents, we've certainly gotten mixed reactions. Uh, Some feel like this is emotional gobbledygook, to quote one resident, and I totally get that perspective. I, I will admit, as a faculty member, I felt that way at first. I also kind of felt like, you know, this is this is obvious. This is common sense. This is, of course, what we need to be doing. Someone kind of put a fancy name on it. But I will say having the language to better express how I'm trying to help a family or to understand what they're going through has helped me, I think, to be a better provider and better communicator with mental health services that I might refer a patient to. And I think as the residents are seeing their faculty members model these behaviors, many of them are actually really getting engaged. I know that one resident in particular was excited to come back and talk to me, to precept with me after a clinic visit where he knew the family incredibly well. And I think the resident was just really excited to say, you know, I I feel like I know what are the next steps to help this family. It's not just good thoughts, but it's now good actions. And I was really impressed with that. When did your practice begin screening for ACEs? Uh, we actually started screening back in April. It took us a, a couple of months to get everything kind of set in place, but we started screening just in our pediatric clinic. We wanted to kind of start small, uh, and this was the population we certainly wanted to target. And we started screening four years, 11 years, and 16-year-olds. We decided we would do that during well-child checks, and we were interested to see just kind of, you know, a wide range of data meaning, you know, were we seeing constant escalation in scores within our population as they aged? Were we seeing very elevated scores from a very young age, or was it something that typically happened a little bit later? And really, more than anything, we were interested to see how would our families respond to us asking these kinds of questions. I understand that you use the ACEQ tool, which is de-identified. That is, patients don't report which ACEs they've experienced, but how many? Why did you select this method of screening? We felt it was important that while we might want to know what types of traumas families have experienced, sometimes making them have to repeat it over and over is a sense of trauma in of itself. Having to rehash that over and over and over uh, is very difficult and can create a filter, I think, around a patient encounter and can help patients feel victimized or that they're not as much of in control of determining their health, that that would be the focus instead of what they came in and, w- and what their concerns are. Interestingly, even as de-identified as the forms are, we are still seeing some adverse responses to completing the forms. It's been something that we didn't quite anticipate as well with the launch. We thought because they don't have to put their child's name on the form, because they don't have to say exactly what kinds of events that their family has suffered through, that that would make it easier for them to be honest and engage with us. We've instead had many families who declined to fill out the form. Uh, We've had families who have filled it out. And then when we come in as providers, uh, and that's one of the things that we start talking about during a well-child check, the family's like, yeah, I filled it out, but I don't want to give it to you, and I don't want to talk about it. And that's been a, a bit disheartening. We were hoping that this was a way to create dialogue, 
but we've recognized that maybe how we're distributing it isn't quite there yet. And maybe it needs to be more that we say, hey, we're concerned about these types of events in childhood. We're not saying your family has or hasn't experienced these, but maybe we need to start saying, would you like to have a separate visit to discuss these? And maybe giving them a little more time to process uh, that this is a point of engagement. Uh, We're considering lots of options. We still think it's important. We're just trying to find out, again, the best way to address this with our families, but without making them feel re-traumatized. Why do you think there's a disconnect between parents recognizing the importance of the ACE screen and the impact on their children? Yeah, that's a great question. I know that there's a lot of parents that feel a sense of embarrassment or frustration that their child has gone through those experiences and that the questionnaire might make it seem like it's their fault that this has happened to their child. Um, I think a lot of them read through there and realize that they themselves have a very elevated score. And in a sense, they start to wonder, am I poisoning my child? Am I someone because I had these bad things happen? I am creating space for bad things to happen to my kids. Um, I know that there are, are some families who see this and are worried does this mean if my child has a high score, you're going to call Child Protective Services on me? It's, it's very hard, I think, to find a way to very efficiently communicate to them saying this is not meant to judge, this is not meant to critique, this is not meant to re-traumatize you guys, this is literally to help us provide the highest standard of care for your child and to create early interventions if we notice that they might be at risk. But... Um, I'm not going to say that that's easy, (laughs) but it's something we're working on. What do you or would you say to those parents who may have reservations about filling out this screening tool? Yeah, uh, we don't have a great script yet to recommend to all providers to help guide that conversation. Uh, As an individual, I try very hard to stress. Again, it's not meant to be a judgmental tool, and it's not going to be used in any way to harm a family or to try to separate a child and a parent or to create judgment on a parent, that the types of questions that we're asking about are simply the kinds of events that when they occur during childhood can be incredibly scary for a child, and that even if their own kid seems to be doing great on a day-to-day basis, not really having significant problems But this might be contributing to things like having trouble sleeping or having some separation anxiety type issues when they're being dropped off for school, that some of a child's behavior outbursts can be related to some of these activities. I try really hard to find a way to relate the things on that list and having an elevated score, how it might be affecting their individual child, and that I want to make sure that they realize I want to help with whatever adverse experience their child has, not to make a judgment about it. And for those patients who do fill out the form, can you tell me, how do you think that ACEs screening fits within a trauma-informed care approach? Yeah. If you have someone who's had trauma in their past, of course, it's going to impact how they function in their daily lives. And if we start seeing that trauma at an early age and start intervening sooner, we can prevent that type of behavior from escalating. So the analogy I use with a lot of my residents or community members 
is I talk about bones. Our bones do require a certain amount of stress to be healthy, to function appropriately. We want them to be good, strong, dense material. And so if we lived in a gravity-free environment, our bones would actually thin out. So you have to have at least a little bit of good stress to have good structural integrity. If bones experience things like stress fractures, one or two stress fractures might have a minimal impact on their function, but it is a sore spot. And that spot can be kind of poked at and irritated over time and kind of a sense of distraction and just make it hard for someone to function fully with that bone. But stress fractures can also have an additive effect. Over time, the function does start to become limited and daily function does become impacted. And eventually you can completely uh, break through the integrity of the bone and then you get into a true fracture. Plenty of kiddos will also have a fracture as a single event if it's traumatic enough. But a fracture means you have now severe dysfunction and you have tissue that is difficult to heal. And I feel that this works as a great analogy when it comes to adverse childhood events that some kids may just have accumulating stress fractures and those can kind of fly under the radar as a provider. And if we aren't addressing them, eventually someday that child might just break and they're not gonna necessarily have adaptive skills or a support system to help them heal correctly. And we might have other kiddos where when they have a significant trauma event in their lifetime, it may be a singular one. Uh, and those are sometimes easier to recognize and intervene on. But if we don't create a healing environment for them and track their progress over time from that sing singular event, are they also going to end up with a warped sense of, of daily function and responsiveness to their community? So I think we need to make sure that we are, are cognizant of how trauma changes us on an individual level and that trauma, when it happens during critical periods of development, can really, really alter that ability for success later on in life. Mental health, physical health, total wellness. It was so great talking with you today, Amy. Thank you so much for your time. Hey, thank you so much for inviting me. That was Amy Siri, a clinician at Via Christi Family Medicine Clinic in Wichita, Kansas. She is also an assistant professor at the Kansas University School of Medicine. You've been listening to Voices from the Field, a podcast where we explore the perspectives of providers screening for ACEs and toxic stress. I'm your host, Lena Singh. Our editor is Jennifer Marshall. This episode was mixed by Francesca Fenzi. Ben Manila is our executive producer. This podcast is sponsored by the Center for Youth Wellness as part of the National Pediatric Practice Community on ACEs and made possible by funding from the JPB Foundation, Genentech, Cal Endowment, and the Hearst Foundation. The music was composed by Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.